Welcome to Toward Significance, a ministry designed to help people make the most of their opportunities as they build lives that make a difference, lives that lead toward significance. In this episode, we want to think about what it is to be cross-cultural. Christian ministry, by definition, is counter-cultural. As Christians, we don't merely translate the Christian message into another culture, that is, cross that culture. We invite people of every culture into a different culture, the culture of the kingdom. We may start with cross-cultural insights, but the path toward significance runs counter-cultural to all cultures, nations, and people groups. Remember, we represent the kingdom of heaven in, but not of the world, and its culture. The early Christian church made advancement through the power of the Spirit in numerous people groups, nations, and cultures, not by simply connecting with the ways of those people, but by inviting them to become a different people, united in Christ and the culture of His kingdom. While much is to be gained by figuring out how to fit in with the people around you, even more is to be gained by learning how to stand out. Part 1. On Words to Watch Words are power. Beware the words. Here are three words that lead to trouble. The problem of pride. Watch pride, the word. Everyone seems to be proud. Victorious sports teams celebrate with pride. Parents speak with pride about their children's accomplishments. Companies that seek success do so by instilling pride into their workers. Pride is everywhere and everyone has it. While Americans reject what most of history has deemed virtues, we have exalted one historical vice and proclaimed it the virtue above all virtues. Pride. Gotta have pride. Watch pride. The proverb is not without substance. Pride comes before the fall. See Proverbs 16.18. At the heart of most ancient tragedies, you will find pride, or as the ancients labeled it, hubris. Pride focuses on self and personal accomplishment. Pride claims merit or worth by the one who is proud. Pride shows itself in boasting. Pride dwelt at the heart of the first sin. We shall be like God. Sure, when people say the word pride, they often, but not as often as you might think, do not mean hubris. Maybe they are happy that their team won. Maybe they are thankful that their kids did well in school. Maybe they are tickled that work has gone so well. Then use those words. Be precise in what you mean. The unseemly side of pride always lurks behind the most casual use of the word. Paul, speaking against pride, wrote, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. As a representative of Jesus, you want all you do to bring attention to him, not to yourself. You want to encourage your people to do the same. Avoiding the word pride will help you to avoid the vice of pride. Find another word. Do all that you can to eliminate the word from your daily language and your reaction to life's experiences. You'll be surprised what a challenge this is. 
Choose from these words instead. Glad, thankful, happy, surprised, tickled, excited. The problem of fun. Fun has become the measure of everything. Listen to the culture for a day and hear how often fun is mentioned. Things must be fun if they are to be viewed as having value of worth. Whatever it is, if it isn't fun, it isn't good. Whatever it is, no matter how bad it might be, if it's fun, it's good. School has to be fun. Family life has to be fun. Work has to be fun. Worship has to be fun. If fun is indeed the measure of all things, every good thing is dead in the water. Don't overhear me. I'm not suggesting that school and family life and work and worship have to be miserable or that it's bad if they happen to be fun. I'm suggesting that a thing's value should not be determined by the relative presence or lack of fun. It's a shame that teachers must first figure out how to make teaching fun before they can focus on student learning. If school always has to be fun, teachers are toast. Marriages built on fun will crumble. Fun drives the disastrous preoccupation that our culture has with games and sports. We live in a land at play. Being driven by the need for fun is closely attached to narcissism, which is a close cousin to hubris, which is a full-blown version of pride. Hmm. Avoid the word fun. Say you had a good time. Share an enjoyable experience. When working on a project or with a team, it is good to do what you can to gain and maintain interest, but don't worry about making it fun. Find a different word and a different goal than simply fun. The problem of try. Try, too? Can the word try be a bad word? What in the world can be wrong with the word try? Try reigns supreme in the realm of weasel words. Try is like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Sure, I will try to come to your party. Now you're free to blow it off since you tried to get there. I promise I will try to get the work done by tomorrow. Now there is no accountability or predictability about that work or the worker. The promise was only to try. I will try harder next time to be better. This is neither an apology for failing nor a commitment not to fail in the future. As Christians, we must be dependable. We must be people of our word. When we give our word, we must mean it and fulfill it. If you cannot commit to something without using the word try, do not commit to it. Live by the words under promise and over-deliver. Or as that great philosopher Yoda said, do or do not, there is no try. Three simple words. Pride, fun, try. Eliminating them from your language or using them only sparingly and intentionally will add significance and power to all that you do. Never ever forget words are power. Use them well. Use them carefully. For further reading, check out 
Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. Part 2 on representing Jesus. This is not just the pastor's job. This is the call of each Christian. This is the reality of each Christian. Each of us represents Jesus. The issue is how well we represent him. Focus on love. Jesus taught his disciples, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 35. As a representative of Jesus, you should strive for love. Love is characterized by thinking more of another and less of self. Love is characterized by servanthood and sacrifice. Love is characterized by grace and mercy. Note, grace and mercy are not synonyms, but are not quite antonyms either. We are called to love our family. We are called to love members of our congregation and other fellow Christians. We are called to love our neighbors. We are called to love our enemies. For further reading, see 1 Corinthians 13. Focus on truth. Amen. It gets translated, I tell you the truth. It's an old Hebrew word that is about the same in Greek and English. Jesus used it a lot. Jesus identified himself as the truth. He told the truth about sin, death, and the devil. He told the truth about life and salvation and heaven. His words may have been difficult to understand, but they never had to be doubted. His followers must be truth-tellers. We tell the truth. We tell his truth. We, as Paul instructs, tell the truth in love. For further reading, see John 8, 31 to 59. Focus on forgiveness. It does no one good to ignore sin or sinfulness. Jesus certainly did not. Forgiveness of sin is not the same as ignoring or explaining away a situation. It connects people with Jesus' death on the cross and his payment for our guilt. His death was a guilt offering. It was a peace offering. He took away the guilt and provided us peace. We have refashioned sin as a revamping of culture. They put forward a new morality. Make no mistake, any new morality is simply the old immorality dressed up in the fashion of the day. For Christians to give in to such thinking enervates the work of the church. One rightly must identify sin for what it is. But at the same time, we should show people the way out of its danger and condemnation. We do not explain it away. We show people a better way. Forgiveness of sin was priority one for Jesus. Yes, he healed, instructed, and fed many. But his mission was to provide rebellious creatures with a way back to their creator. His mission was forgiveness. Jesus attained the way back to the Creator by His substitutionary death on the cross, which paid the penalty for the world's sin. His death provides the means of reconciliation with the Creator, which leads to life abundant and eternal. As representatives of Jesus, 
we have no greater mission than to proclaim the cross and lead people to its forgiveness. For further reading, see 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 21. Focus on not being a bugger. Jesus was not vulgar. Jesus was not a gossip. Jesus was not a slacker. Jesus was not rude. Jesus was not a bugger. People like to be around Jesus. Part of representing Jesus is as simple, which is not to say easy, is not being a bugger. For further reading, see Galatians 5, 16 to 26. Focus on Christopher. Christopher continues to be a popular name. It's a purposeful name. It means Christ-bearer. That's each Christian's purpose. To represent Jesus is to make him present again. We Christians bear, offer, carry, or deliver Jesus to those around us. You are a representer of Jesus. Embrace your name and your calling. You are Christopher. For further reading, see Mark 11, 1 to 10. Part 3 on the gift of no. No is a tremendous gift. It was part of the giftedness of the perfect creation. When God created the heavens and the earth, he included for Adam and Eve the gift of no. He said, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Genesis 2, verses 16 to 17. He said, No, not that one. This was not a temptation. It was a gift. By having something clearly off limits, even if there was no self-evident reason for it, Adam and Eve experienced both freedom from their own desires and freedom for following God. With the no firmly in place, there was life. Once they discarded it, there was death. No is a gift. Many messages in our culture drum yes into our ears. Yes, you can. Yes, it's okay. Yes, you should indulge yourself. Yes, everyone else is. Yes can become a curse that binds us to every whim of desire and every wind of change. Yes enslaves. Yes can leave us overweight, tired, broke, and drifting away from Jesus. When God calls us to faith in Jesus and makes us a member of his people, he restores to us the gift of no. In Titus chapter 2, we read, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. No is a gift. Focus your no in three areas. Certainly, exercise no with wrong things. 
to ungodliness and worldly passions. The things God put off limits are off limits for our good. God is not a cosmic spoil sport. You will need to erect boundaries on what you watch, where you go, and what you do. There will be things your friends and family may be doing or seeing to which you must exercise. No. This will be for your good, not for your detriment. A second area of focus should be on good things. These two, at times, need our no. Across the ages, moderation has been viewed as a virtue both by Christians and ancient pagans. It is only modern pagans who eschew it. Have you heard this? Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Practice saying no to things that you could ordinarily say yes. This will maintain freedom from your desire and freedom from enslavement to things, good as they might be. A third focus is to do all you can to pass the gift of no on to your children. It's a tremendous gift that they are unlikely to get anywhere else. Teach them that no is a good word, a freeing word, and especially a firm word. Parents who desire their children to thrive in Christ and in his world must consistently, continually, and lovingly give their children the gift of no. Part 4 on Volume and Distance Conflict abounds. This side rages against that side. Make signs, post tweets, getting even morphs into getting ahead. My side wins, your side loses. It's been a long time since John Lennon in the Plastic Ono Band sang, All we are saying is give peace a chance. We Christians serve the Prince of Peace. He who said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Matthew 5, verse 9. His culture of peace serves to supplant the culture of conflict that surrounds us. There are two ways you can work with Jesus to mitigate our culture's conflicted and conflicting way of life. Decrease the volume. Minimize the distance. When people experience conflict, they tend to raise the volume. People end up shouting and outshouting one another. This happens on picket lines and board meetings, in parking lot altercations, and at the dinner table. It reflects the old line about preaching, when in doubt, shout. Learn the lesson of your wise third grade teacher. Remember her? Remember how when things got noisy or rambunctious in class, she actually talked in lower tones. She reduced her volume and did not seek to meet or exceed the noise of the classroom. And counterintuitively, her quietness broke the power of the noise. Things settled down. Order was restored. Reason could reign again. That's the first way to minimize conflict. Lower the volume. Try that in your next situation that devolves into conflict. As the others get louder, you get softer, quieter, more measured in word choice and tone. Counterintuitive, countercultural. Second, Conflict can be lowered by decreasing the distance, physically and metaphorically, between those who are conflicted. 
This was a lesson I learned years ago when I first became a pastor. I remember a number of occasions when I was talking with someone on the phone about a problem. The more we talked on the phone, the more conflicted the situation became. It took me a while, but I learned that if there was an issue between another person and me, if I would meet with that person face to face and not over the phone, the situation was much more likely to be solved amicably. By decreasing the distance between us, the likelihood of conflict resolution increased. When in a conflict, see how you can reduce the distance. A text is closer than a Facebook post. An email is closer than a text. A phone call is closer than an email. A meeting in an office is closer than a phone call. A lunch at a restaurant is closer than a meeting in the office. And a visit to the home is closer than a lunch in a restaurant. This is not disconnected from the principle that for people to be together, they need to get together. So much of our culture actually feeds on increasing conflict. Media, politics, social media platforms. In fact, an underreported reality is that critical theory, the father of critical race theory, post-colonial theory, social justice movement, seeks to exacerbate conflict between groups. To quote Jesus a bit, but not too much out of context, it shall not be so among you. Matthew 20, verse 26. You and I are deployed as followers of Jesus into a very conflicted time. We are deployed into our communities, workplaces, play spaces, preferred social media platforms, and homes. Let us be peacemakers by practicing the less is more principle of conflict resolution. The less the volume and the less the distance, the more likely conflict can be resolved. Here's a little footnote. I mentioned critical theory. There's a book out, Cynical Theories by Pluckrose and Lindsay, that will get you beyond the surface of what you hear about critical race theory, post-colonial theory, and the social justice movement, and get you closer to what's behind it. It's not by accident that conflict continues to increase. Thank you for listening to Toward Significance. I hope that this episode has been helpful to you in thinking through what it means to be countercultural in your world, that you might continue to introduce people to Jesus and the world to come. If you'd like more information about this ministry, visit me at www.towardsignificance.com or feel free to email me at ddavis at towardsignificance.com.